exciting time this morning. I always say that, but it's true. Honestly, it's true. Um, you know what I'm so excited about this morning is even when we're when we're studying Judges and we're studying other books, we know that God has inspired it, and it's just as powerful. But there's something about actually hearing Jesus' words that is just so cool, isn't it? It's just so uh, encouraging to know that the the author and finisher of your faith is talking directly to you. And I asked Danger if we could sing that song uh, much because it talks about sitting at His feet. And you think about that, and that is powerful. And realize that we are sitting at the Savior's feet and, and in a very, very powerful, meaningful, clear way, He's going to speak directly to you. These are His words. And it's so I'm just so excited. Uh, if you watched... One of the uh, reality shows this year, there's a guy on there that kept saying, Can you dig it? You know, and I kind of think of him in that, Wow, are you excited? Are you ready? Are you, are you pumped? Because we've got some powerful, powerful things here. So, hope you can dig it this morning because, whoops, because we've got to learn a lot. We're going to call this a follower's influence. Now, I wish I could claim this handy dandy outline I'm about to show you, but I can't. This is on a study guide that Josh has directed us to, and it's been really helpful, I think, for kind of knitting together. Not that we use everything from it, not that we don't go on different sides of, of, of what the text is saying, but it's been really good, good for guiding and directing. You'll notice in the back of your bulletin, there's kind of a blank space. I'm going to give you a, a, a view of the overall outline. Depends on you. Maybe you want to write it down now. Maybe you want to wait and write it down gradually. But this, I hope, will give you kind of an overview of what we're about to do. The first point we're going to talk about is influenced followers. Influenced followers. We're going to take verses 1 through 20 of chapter 4. We're going to talk about different soil samples. I didn't know this, but did you know Mark Smith is a scientist? His undergraduate work was in biology? That's impressive. He knows about soil samples. And we're going to talk about soil samples. We'll talk about seed on the path from soil sample one. We'll talk about seed on rocky ground. We'll talk about uh, seed among thorns. And we'll talk about seed on good soil. I'm really excited because I think there's two sides of application. The nice thing about this is Jesus himself gives the interpretation of this scripture. Interpretation, what, does the, what do the verses mean? Jesus lays it out in clear English. But as far as application, I think there's two different sides of this. I was really... Uh, really enthused this last weekend. I was over at Emmaus and they had a conference and the whole thing was about evangelism. And, and what was so neat is a lot of the things that you guys have been telling me and we've been working on, they repeated and re-emphasized. And, and I think uh, this morning again, even before going to that conference, realizing that there's an evangelistic challenge here and we need that. But there's also an edification challenge and we need that too. It's both. They're both right in this passage. After we talk about the soil samples, we're going to talk about influential followers. So we talked about followers being influenced. Now we're going to talk about followers influencing others. We'll skip influenza, but we could touch on that probably too. Verses 21 through 34, we'll touch on influential followers. We'll talk about the purpose of the message. And when we're saying the message, I think it's safe to, to categorize it as the good news. The good news. We're going to talk about the power of the message. And we're going to talk about the potential of the message. And all of these, I hope, will come out in a very clear, very applicable way that you and I, in the good news, will have plenty of obedience to be able to put into practice. The bad news is we're going to give an account for what we learned this morning. And it was a challenge to, as we walk out of this door, are we going to obey are we going to disobey? And unfortunately, there's no middle ground, is there? We're accountable now for what we're hearing. So if you don't want to obey, you better leave now because there's some really solid, clear, practical things in ways that our lives have to change this week. Let's dig in, first of all, by looking at the passage. Now, when I spoke on Judges last, if I did it all over again, I don't think I would quite read as much of the narrative. But in this case... This we're going to read the entire thing again because nine out of ten words are Jesus' words himself. 
Not that the others aren't inspired, but I think each word here is crucial to our understanding. So if you have your Bibles, follow along, or if you want to look up at the screen. Mark 4, 1 through 34. Again, he began to teach by the lake. And who's the he? Jesus, the Son of the living God. Brings some weight to what he says, doesn't it? Again, he began to teach by the lake. And such a large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the lake and sat there while the whole crowd was on the shore by the lake. He taught them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. It sprang up at once because the soil was not deep. When the sun came up, it was scorched, and because it did not have a root, it withered. Other seed fell among the thorns, and they grew up and choked it, and it did not produce grain. But other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, sprouting and growing. Some bore thirty times as much, some sixty, and some a hundred times. And he said, whoever has ears to hear had better listen. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about these parables. He said to them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those outside, everything is in parables. So that although they look... They may not they may look but not see. So that although they look, they may look but not see. And although they hear, they may hear but not understand. So they may not repent and be forgiven. He said to them, Don't you understand this parable? Then how will you understand any parable? The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. Whenever they hear, immediately Satan comes and snatches the word that was sown in them. These are the ones sown on rocky ground. As soon as they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but they have no root in themselves and do not endure. Then, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, immediately they fall away. Others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but worldly cares, wealthy pleasures, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, and it produces nothing. But these are the ones sown on good soil. They hear the word and receive it, and bear fruit, one thirty times as much, one sixty, and one a hundred. I'm sorry, I didn't put the rest of it, so let's pick up in your Bibles and read 21 on. I apologize for that. 21, And he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, Take heed that you hear what you hear. With the same measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. Let me read that again. Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. But he himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Then he said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. And with such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were about able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. Good stuff here. And that's an overview. We need to pause and ask this author and finisher of our faith uh, to, to teach us, to guide us. 
He showed His apostles, He showed His disciples what it meant. We need the Spirit of God to show us what it means this morning. Father, we trust You to teach us. We trust You to show us what You're talking about here. We trust You to even convict our hearts and give us the motivation and desire to obey. Lord, nine out of ten times, it's not that we don't understand, it's that we don't want to obey. And we need You to change our hearts this morning. Use us, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say a couple of things here. I'm going backwards. Um, what does it mean to sow? Sow means to plant or seed, or in this case, to throw seed out. That's important, I think. Um, another word that was kind of weird. I want. To, oh, a parable. What's a parable? A parable is simply a story, kind of a maybe kind of a riddle, but it's a parable that's referring to real stuff by using other pictures. Um, we maybe would call them illustrations. So it's kind of long extended illustrations. I wanted to mention that just because I think that's important. So when we're sowing seed, it's just a fancy term for planting it. In this case, it was reaching into a bag and spreading out seed by hand. Let's dig in here and take a look at uh, this concept of influenced followers. Really what we're talking about here is those first 20 verses where Jesus was using this story about planting a field in order to talk about how people hear the Word of God and how they respond. And like I said, the interpretation is very clear. The application, I believe, can apply, one, to people hearing the Word of God who don't yet have a relationship with Christ and in their process of the Lord saving them and working on them. But then also I believe that it applies to those of us who continually, who know Christ, who continually hear the Word. And your heart is going to be like one of these fields. And your heart is going to respond like one of these fields responds. And the big question is, is how, how is it going to respond? What are you going to be like? So start looking at this and start thinking, mm, is that my heart? Mm, am I like that? Am I the hard ground? Am I the soft? Am I the... Shallow? Am I flaky? How does it, how do you apply? How does it fit in? Let's look at this first soil sample, so to speak. He told this story about when the farmer went out and was so, throwing the seed, and the seed again, and we're talking about the word of God, God's word. Verse fourteen um, tells us that, where again Jesus in his description says it plainly: the sower sows the word. The ground is the hearer. Or remember, we already learned that the center of the hearer is our heart, right? So the ground is your heart or the heart of someone hearing the good news for the first time or for the second or third, but of the heart of the un unbeliever too. Verse 15 tells us that. In soil sample 1, you have this farmer throwing out seed, but some of it, in fact, a bunch of it lands on this path. And the context of this path is through fields, there was often a dirt path that would have been really hard packed. I mean, people walk back and forth on it. So you maybe have seen some dirt that is really hard packed. That's what the path is referring to. It is still dirt, but it's not going to be in much of a condition to receive the seed. We'll talk a bit about that in a minute. So the seed lands on this path. And because the, the, the seed, because the ground is so hard, the seed doesn't have a chance to start springing and get growing. And so who comes along? These birds come along and steal the seed. They steal it and, and take it and devour it, take it away from the dirt. There's a powerful message here. There's a powerful message. Again, the application is for one, someone hearing the word before knowing Christ, or for those of us who know Him. And the application is this. Is your heart hard? Is your heart unteachable? Like that ground is hard. Nothing's going to get in there. Nothing's going to be able to grow there. It's too packed. It's too compressed. Beware of hard hearts. Because, especially for those who don't know the Lord, Satan is real. And he's alive. And he wants to do as much damage as he can. And Jesus Christ is clear that Satan will attempt to snatch that word and to steal that effect and to use that hard heart for his advantage so that that person never gets another glance at that word, that, that uh, powerful good news that falls on their ears. 
Be careful of how, how we respond. Are we have hard hearts? Because hard hearts do not receive the Word. Not a lot of complexity. Soil sample two is seed that was thrown out and guess what kind of ground it fell on? Rockier ground. Maybe there was, a, a, a as it was described in kind of commentary, a large rock that maybe had a little bit of dirt on there, but it was a real shallow layer of dirt. So the seed falls on there and guess what? Well, the dirt is warm. It's very warm because the sun had heated it since it was sitting on this rock. So the seed grew really quickly. But it's a very shallow layer of, of dirt. So the roots never get a chance to go down deep. So then the sun comes up, nice hot, scorching day, and what happens to a plant with very shallow roots? Well, it dries up. It doesn't have the depth. It doesn't have the, the, uh, the length of roots to dig down to get to the moister soil. When the shallow soil all it's have, it's got no moisture, it withers up, and it's dead. The rocky ground is the shallow heart. What do I mean by the shallowed heart? Well, it talked about the emotionally impressionable heart. People who are just, they don't have substance. People who are driven and tossed by kind of every wind and wave. And, and yeah, they're, they're one of the most exciting people to jump on this bandwagon, but in no time they're flittering and flopping the other way. There are people out there whose hearts are very, very shallow. And as this talks about, as Jesus talks about, if you've got a shallow heart, if you're ungrounded, if you don't have substantial footing, you wither. What is the sun? The sun in this case is persecution. Tough times. Tough times come. And what is that, that people who, that person, and let's think of the sense of the unbeliever here, the person who's heard the good news and their response is, oh yeah, great, great, yes. But, but it's only an emotional response. It's only an outward response. It's only a sure, why not kind of I'm there response. And when tough time comes, because of that word that they've received, because of being a Christian, suddenly being a Christian isn't all it's cracked up to be. And because they don't have those deep roots, forget that. Forget that. And I think this touches, uh, touches a nerve. How many of us, how many of us know People who have claimed to quickly convert, quickly receive the word. But then it doesn't take too long before, okay, maybe, maybe they're getting some pressure from, uh, their friends or maybe from their family. And suddenly, this dedication and these, these tears and this heartfelt commitment to Christ, suddenly, oh, I don't know if I want that. And there's a real issue here about shallow hearts. And when persecution shows up, they head the other way. Here we have a good thing in that the heart is very teachable, isn't it? Springs up right away. You got growth right away, but it's unstable. Now here's the thing that's tough about that. When we're sharing the good news, can we protect anyone from the pain of life? No. Pain is, is uh, in this life is just as natural as breathing, it seems. There's no way that you can protect each other or anyone from the, the persecutions that are going to come. Only we can have depth. We've got to have stability. And again, to the Christian who this is applying to, what is your faith grounded in? Have you spent that time regularly in the Word developing a maturity? That's a good word for this, a maturity. Are your soils of your heart mature, so to speak, where they go deep? When you build a house in Dubuque anyway, you've got to dig down and put a foundation with footings that are at least 48 inches, Grandpa, is that right? At least 48 inches down. And that deep, that way the frost, no matter what happens, no matter uh, how hard the ground freezes, the frost doesn't go that low. And frost can make the, the ground shake and heave and mix it all up. But if you've got deep roots on your foundation through your footings, then the house will be stable. Are you stable dirt? Do you have strong maturity? I think we live in a culture where even in a Christian culture that it's all about how do you feel at this moment? Are you really getting your feelings into it? Um, and yet the depth, the maturity...
can really be lacking. How do you develop maturity? I don't know any other, other way other than what that song we learned when we were young, many learned. Read your Bible, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day. You will grow, grow, grow. I want to point out here something that my uh, wise old father pointed out to me. I used to talk in high school, but I, I, I'm really wanting to grow faster spiritually. And he pointed out that, that a lot of times fast growth is not well-founded, well-established growth. And we've got to be careful about maturity. We want to be developing in our maturity. A lot of people you see just all of a sudden they're just, it's like they're super Christians all of a sudden. And yet when push comes to shove, when times get tough, you start seeing the difference, don't you? We've got to be mature. We've got to be well grounded and well stabled. Result? What happens to a heart that is no depth? They can have the most emotional, the most powerful, conversion story of anybody. I was saved out of this. I was saved out of that. But if there is no depth, there's no fruit. And I think it's pretty clear what Scripture says about no fruit. No fruit means that the Word really isn't in you. That means if there's no fruit, that means the Spirit's not in you. And we know that that person really isn't saved if, if there's no fruit. Because a saved life will produce fruit. Questions there? Soil sample three. Seed among thorns. This one is going to sting a little. Thorns are worldly pleasures. Verse 19 says that to us very clearly. One, worldly cares. Worldly cares. Two, wealthy pleasures. Wealthy pleasures. Three, desire for other things, maybe impurity. What happens when the, the seed falls on this ground where there's tons of thorns, tons of weeds? The seed is choked. There's not enough nutrition for growth. A powerful message here. Many times, people will hear the good news. They'll hear the gospel. But if they're too steeped in the world, if there's too many distractions, if there's too many pleasures, a lot of times it can just choke out any potential for growth. Well, look at your life. How is your soil? I don't know if it's possible, and this was a good illustration, I don't know any farmer that says we're going to remove every single weed from our fields. These worldly pleasures will always be there, it seems. They're going to be at your front door. They're going to be available at any time. But the question is, is are you maintaining, are you managing those weeds around you so that you can have enough nutrition from the Word to grow and develop and mature? Simple, but powerful. What does that mean? That means that what you watch on TV tonight does affect your spiritual life. The movies you choose to see, no matter how you can dismiss the content as, oh yeah, well, you know, you got to come to expect that nowadays with the movie, that will affect your spiritual growth. My love for money will affect my maturity as a believer. Well, everybody's you know, doing this. Everybody's spending this much money and no one's, real, I mean, no one's giving 10% to the Lord these days. I mean, the average is like 3%. So really, I'm going to keep that money back and I'm going to really you know, spend that on something else. That will affect our maturity. Our spiritual life is a very, very serious issue. And for some reason, the Lord allows things to get in the way of our growth if, if we allow them. And worldly pleasures, worldly cares. Let me say something here. God speaks clearly about worry. And He says, do not fret. It only causes what? Harm. We can be overcome with worldly cares and it's a part of your life and it's a part of my life and worldly cares will stunt our maturity. It's, it robs energy. It robs nutrition. It doesn't let us grow as strong. Do you struggle with worry? If you do, that's got to be constantly confessed and turned from. Repent of that. Turn from it so that it won't be a thorn that will choke out the Word in your life. Impurity. We talked about that. What do you put in front of your eyes? I think it's safe to say things like desperate housewives should not go in front of any male's eyes who seeks to honor the Lord. 
maybe that's unfair, but it just seems like there's this subtle impurity out there that, oh, it's on network TV, it must be okay. We've got to be careful. Because that stuff can haunt, it can grab us, it can get a hold of us, it can lead to other things, and the desire for other things can choke out the effect of the Word in your life. Again, what's the result? No fruit is produced. So again, the believer who, who hears the Word, or I'm sorry, the person who hears the Word and makes a, a, a profession and, and yet quickly is choked out, not a chance to produce fruit, no evidence there. Soil sample number four, seed on good ground. Here's kind of the, the ideal picture. When you've got good ground, the seed falls on it. It's soft, so the seed can get its roots in. It's fertile, so there's enough nutrition. You don't have a, a lack of, of food to grow. The weeds are controlled. Again, I don't know any farmer who can remove all the weeds, but the weeds are controlled, so they're not taking over. The, the impure thoughts and whatnot are not at the forefront. And growth is consistent and substantial. When we're talking about sharing the good news with those around us, this is the kind of conversion that, that we want the Lord to do. This is the kind of salvation that is real, authentic, true. Those young uh, believers who crave the milk of the Word, who really spend time reading His Word, who spend time talking about it, who have turned from the worldly pleasures. They're not dabbling in the same kind of garbage. They've been willing to turn from the pleasures to avoid being controlled by the weeds. Um, they have soft, teachable hearts that say, okay, I need to learn what being a follower of Christ is all about. And for those of us who are saved, you've got to realize that your soil, your, your heart, will determine fruit, but it's very clear that some will produce fruit, some will produce 60-fold, some will produce 100-fold. I think it's important to remind us that a, a person who knows the Lord Jesus as Savior, you're not done. That some of those people, although, many, although even uh, three truly saved people, can produce three different amounts of fruit. And you've got to realize that your life is, needs, to needs to depend on how much fruit you're willing to produce. How, much, how fertile are you going to be? How soft are you going to be? It's not just about, okay, I'm saved, now I can do whatever because I'm going to... No. We need to be aiming for that 100-fold of fruit and the softness of your heart to the Word and the, the amount of the Word in your heart, the fertility of the soil and the weeds, the distractions will all impact how much fruit your life produces. So what can we do? Well, some things we can't do. We can't change the seed. And again, this is a context too of, of one, our own life, but also in sharing the good news with others. When you're sharing the good news, you can't change the seed. In fact, the nice thing is, is it's the perfect inspired Word of God, isn't it? We don't need to change the seed. We wouldn't need to even if we could. We can't remove the birds. Let me say this. Spiritual warfare is real. And it's powerful. And Satan is no one for us on our own strength to mess with. We're blessed to have protection as believers from the Spirit of the living God. But, spiritual warfare is, is real, real. We can't remove the bird. We can't remove Satan. We can't remove his influence, either on, on the unsaved people that we're trying to minister to or on, on uh, other areas. We can't stop the blazing sun. Persecution is going to come. We can't stop weeds from appearing. Like we said, you flip on the TV and there's an impure thought waiting to happen. You can't force the soil to change. You can't affect your coworker's heart. You can't reach in there and twist it so that it's going to do what you want it to do. Half the time it feels like we have less control over our heart. We can't do a lot of things, but we can work with the soil. We can water it. You can fertilize soil. You can aerate it. Did I spell aerate right? Anyone? No one's arguing, so it must be right. Okay. 
the point is this, and this is going to lead to the next step, and this is going to lead to what has really been even the most convicting to me, in that, what does it do? In order to water the soil, in order to fertilize the soil, in order to aerate the soil, there has to be direct contact with the soil by each of these. The water, if it doesn't hit the soil, it's a nice thought, but it ain't going to do anything. If fertilizer doesn't go onto the soil and is able to interact and increase the nutrition, it's not going to help. And if aeration doesn't actually physically dig the soil up to allow it to breathe better and, and less packed, it's not going to change it. Here's the point. Good intentions of evangelism are just worthless if they don't aren't followed by contact, relationship with unbelievers. And I fear that we can become professionals at saying, oh, we've got to be an evangelizing church. And yet, we're not willing to have that contact with unbelievers. I'm going to tell you what I mean in just a couple of minutes and we'll have an object lesson. But this is probably the most convicting part um, for me. All of us will say we want to evangelize. We want to share the good news. We want to help people so their hearts are receptive so they can take the Word of God, the Spirit will use it and produce salvation and then fruit. But you've got to be hands-on. You've got to roll up your sleeves and get your hands in the dirt, so to speak. And you can be the best orator for how a garden should be taken care of. But if you're not willing to get dirty, in a sense, you're not going to produce anything or be used to produce anything. We'll talk more in a minute here. Direct contact. Roman numeral two, influential followers. Now this is very clearly talking to those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are walking with Him. And this is what it's about for us today. The purpose of the message. What's the message? It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus died to pay for our sins. And He's risen to proven His authority over sin and death and hell. And the purpose to reach the lost. We've got to get this news to those who haven't heard it. We've got to get this news to those who haven't heard it. Let's look at those verses again. Verse 21. Mark 4.21 And He said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For to whoever has, him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. The clear command, let your light shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You probably know that song, right? We know this illustration, but let this affect your heart in a powerful way. The light is Christ in us. And this passage clearly says you've got to let your light shine. If Amanda were here, she'd be crawling up here to play with this thing. This is an illustration for you. This is the modern... 2005 home. People come home, Christians now we're talking, will come home with their light in their car. They'll come home and what do they do? Push a button, what happens? Garage door goes up. Dave Glock taught me this, by the way. People drive in, what do they do? Close the door. Then you get out, go in the house, what, what are these windows? Is this the typical window? What do you usually have over your windows? Yeah, blinds, shades, curtains. You don't want people looking in your house, do you? So you've got the windows basically covered over, okay? What do you think is the most un underused door in America these days? What do you think? Front door. Why, Josh? Yep. And... Most people these days don't have a ton of people over, so you don't have a lot of guests coming to the front door. You don't have the porch out in front of the house that you used to have, right, where you sit. What's the point? The point is, is that we have become professionals 
at not contacting other people. You can live your life as an island. Now, some of us have no choice. I mean, some of us have to go to work and we're going to deal with unsafe people whether we like it or not. But some of us have even in a situation where it's possible to never encounter an unsafe person in a meaningful way. And the challenge is, is that those of us who are serious about evangelizing have to be willing to share our lives with others. Sound familiar? We've talked as a church family, what's the key to our unity? Sharing our life with each other. What's the key to evangelizing? Sharing your life with others. And I share a painful story of my inadequacy here. My neighbor across the street is putting on brand new siding, putting on a new garage door, putting on a new door. I've been trained how to hang vinyl siding. It's very easy. And I believe probably it's the spirit that's been challenging me all week to get up, go out, pick up a hammer and come alongside him and help him put his siding on. But I never did it. I talked to him about it and we had some good conversation that way. But you know what? The bottom line is I was not willing to invest my valuable time enough to share life with him to share life with Him. And I, I've had to confess that in the shower this morning. Thankfully, the sighting's done now, so I'm uh, kind of off the hook. No, but I've confessed that sin to the Lord of not being willing, not loving my neighbor enough to give up time to go swing a hammer with Him alongside of Him. The light is in us, but will it shine so that the world can see? Or are you a modern, typical home that's got your life set up to where you really don't have to come in much contact with anybody else outside of your circle? We'll talk about Christ's example of shining, but I want to take a survey here. And this will be just as convicting, I think, for, for all of us. So, uh, raise your hand. Think about um, someone, what was the name? Kevin Dyer, I think, said you have nine neighbors. I was counting out. That's about right. You've got about nine people right around your house. Or if some of you live in apartments, you have even more people you run in contact with. How many? Raise your hand if you know at least one of your neighbor's names. Okay, good, good. Now, keep your hand up if you uh, know where one of your neighbors works. Okay, good. Now, keep your hand up if you have uh, had a meal with one of your neighbors. Okay, good. We're still doing well. Keep your hand up if you uh, have gotten enough talking to your neighbor to you know what one part of pain, what, what's one pain they have in their life. Okay, good, good, good. You see where we're going with this? Put your hands up. Thank you. Great work. Some of you are doing it. Some of you are sharing your lives. But some of the rest of us, it didn't take long, did it, before our, our level of connection with our, with our neighbors kind of started to wane. And maybe we could be challenged that if we really are going to be obedient to what God wants, we've got to change our heart to be willing to get to know those people that He's put right around us, literally in our backyard. And there's a huge opportunity, a huge opportunity for us to truly share life. And we've got to do it. We've got to do it. You know, it's, um, it's one of those things that we have to consciously change our focus. I think in one sense, um, you as a church, we as a church have been doing a good job in the sense where, you know, I think Heidi's neighbors really appreciated the raking that you guys did for them. Um, Michaela has said that, the, that the, her friend at work really appreciates the moving that you guys did. The church is doing a good job of supporting us and I honestly think that it now comes down to my heart and my willingness. Am I willing to share life with the people next door to me? And I'm convinced 
that uh, as I heard about, you know, these, these speakers the last few days taught about these techniques. It's all about relationship building, they said. And they would give us four techniques of how to build relationships. But as I was thinking about it, what does it all hinge on? Whether we really want relationships with those people. And we've got to change our hearts. I've got to change my heart. Andrew should not have to hang his own sighting. He should have a believer in Jesus Christ next to him because he cares enough about him. And at this point, I don't. So pray with me that our hearts will change on that. Let's take a look quickly at Christ's example in this area. Christ's example was totally different from our lifestyle. Uh, Mark 4.1, I love this verse. Usually you hear this verse in the sense or other verses like it in that make sure that you take time for your own rest and growth. And that's true, but look at Mark 4. No, I wrote that wrong. I'm sorry, yes, Mark 4.1. And again, he began to teach by the sea and a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat it on the sea and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. People were lining up to minister to Christ. People were hungry for what he had to share. And he was faithful. He was doing it. Christ was dedicated to teaching them. Do you think people are hungry today for true love, true relationship, true meaning in life? Mark 4.1, I think, is just as true today as it was then in that people are lining up. Maybe they're not saying it out loud, but people are lining up to see something real and true. And they hunger for quality relationships. Look at Mark 6, verse 30. And this is the part that I love. Then the apostles gathered around Jesus and told him everything they had done and taught. He said to them, Come with me privately to an isolated place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, but there was no time to eat. So they went away by themselves in a boat to some remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them. And they hurried on foot from all the towns and arrived there ahead of them. As Jesus came ashore, he saw the large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he taught them many things. Put yourself in that shoe. Dead tired. Not even time to eat. I've never been there. Okay, I eat. But never t- not even time to eat. The guy must have been exhausted. He must have been just beat. Did he feel like being with people? Obviously not. Getting away. And even when getting away, there's this mob of people show up because they're hungry for this relationship. And Christ... Did he give the excuse, I'm tired? Did he give the excuse, I'm hungry? Did he give the excuse, oh, this isn't within my ministering time? He fed them spiritual food. He took the time to teach them many things. Our excuses disappear in the wind, don't they? You are busy people. You are hardworking people. You are tired people. But we've got to make time for these relationships with the unsaved. And there's no legitimate excuse for our not other than we don't want to. We don't love them enough. That's got to change if we're going to be faithful obeyers of what we're hearing. We did the neighbor survey. Be careful. Your stewardship is noted. Verses 24 and 25 is very clear that those of us, and I believe we are in the category who have been given huge opportunity. We're not persecuted like they are in Indonesia. You don't face death or, or worse, in a sense, by sharing the gospel in Dubuque, Iowa. In fact, you have people who are open to the gospel. You have people who are willing and almost wanting to talk about how empty the religion has been for them in the past and how excited they would be for something authentic and true. We've been given much. But God is taking note of our stewardship in this area. He is looking at how we use those opportunities for Him. We've got to be faithful. And He said to them, Take care about what you hear. The measure you use will be the measure you receive. And more will be added to you. For whoever has will be given more. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Powerful, scary thought. Quickly, the last two points. The power of the message. If we were, When we read this, we were clear that a man plants some seed, he goes to bed, he wakes up, and growth has started. What's the point? He has no control over the growth, does he? 
He's faithful to plant. He's faithful to prepare the soil. He's faithful to work hard. But the growth, out of his hands. If people could control growth, we'd have some rich farmers. We'd probably not have near as much um, famine and whatnot. Because growth is not in our hands. God is the only one who can produce true growth. It's a, it's a picture, a story of spiritual growth, of spiritual profit. John 6, 41-45, Then the Jews who were hostile to Jesus began complaining about Him because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can He now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus replied, Do not complain about Me to one another. No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be all be taught by God. Everyone who hears and learns from the Father comes to me. Growth, salvation, is God's work. It's not ours. We need to be faithful. There's no excuse for lack of faithfulness here. But God is the only one who can produce true growth. God chooses to produce growth in very mysterious ways. Two examples of this. Mark 4, in our text, verse 10. Look at that with me. Mark 4, verse 10, is a strange verse and there's a couple of different interpretations. We're not going to go into them now, but you'll get what I mean, I think. To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that... Seeing, they may see and not perceive. And hearing, they may hear and not understand. Lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Is he saying what, what I think that means? It's mysterious in the sense of, of whether or not Christ is, is uh, and how God will draw. And who God chooses to reveal the truth to. Thankfully, we don't have to understand. I underline mysterious because I think there's too many people out there who are convinced they know how God does this. We've got the methodology of God figured out so I can tell you how God leads and how God chooses. and It's a mystery. But understand too that the way God works in this is mysterious. Romans 9, I'd encourage you to write that down and I'd encourage you to read it on your own. And if you don't come away from there going, What? Read it again, because it's, it's a mystery. And there's a very real side that I think we need to understand and appreciate that God chooses to work in mysterious ways and He chooses to work in hearts in mysterious ways. More to be said. I hope there'll be more chance to say it. Let's end here with the potential of the message. This is cool. This ties right into these signs that we see on the side of us, or at least that one. Let me read these verses. And again, bear with me just for a couple more minutes. It's about 12.01. If you could give me a couple more, I apologize. We'll finish up. Then he said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. We don't care about mustard seeds, but we do care about what this is symbolizing. This is symbolizing the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is hidden right now in its full glory. There will be a day where Jesus Christ Himself will descend and thankfully it will be taken to heaven, but then after that there's a time and whatnot and there will be a day where God's kingdom is clear to all. Philippians 2 says, Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But right now the kingdom is hidden. But don't be confused at the, by, at the significance because one day the invisible kingdom will be made visible to all. And when that happens, it will be an awesome day. But understand that the kingdom you are serving, the kingdom you are working hard to make visible through your life is a massive, wonderful, powerful kingdom. Don't let the, the, the message here, don't let the mustard seed fool you. Don't let the kingdom of God fool you. It looks insignificant. It looks like the Satan is ruling the day. It almost looks like he's winning half the time. But, 
Just like the mustard seed grows to produce this massive tree of strength, the kingdom that we serve is real and powerful. And keep focused on making the invisible kingdom visible now to all those around us. Colossians 3, 1-4 and Matthew 5, 14-16 are closing verses to speak to this. Colossians 3, 1-4 Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Keep thinking about the things above, not the things on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you too will be revealed in glory with Him. Keep going. Keep pushing forward. What we're striving for is worth it. He promises. It's tough. It's agonizing. I will confess to you that Christy and I, we laid in bed and I looked at her the other night and I said, what's the point? But was quickly reminded, thankfully, quickly reminded that the kingdom is the point and it's worth it. And it's worth every bit of sweat, toil, and tears. Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. A city located on a hill cannot be hidden. People do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. You have a chance to make the kingdom invisible, the invisible kingdom clearly seen through your lives. You, you impact each other. Your life helps me turn my eyes to heavenly things as a believer and you show those around you the love of Christ. And your good deeds, your loving hearts, your tender hearts, your service to them will show them the glory of the Father. It's a promise and it's powerful. Father, we desperately need your help. Father, the, the soil is a good thing for us to, to keep in check. How are our hearts? It's a good start to realize that our light is on a stand. It's got to be seen. It's got to be brought into contact. It's got to be developed through relationship with our neighbors, with each other. Lord, we know that we've been given much and much is expected of us. Father, we know that You are the one who produces growth. You are the one who does um, any good. And, and we're thankful that we don't have to to force the gospel on anyone, that we don't have to hold ourselves responsible to the re response when a loving relationship has been developed. That's your work. Our work is to simply be faithful and focused and, and working hard. Father, we thank you that your kingdom, although hidden right now, is wonderful and it's powerful and it's worth every bit of effort. Father, turn our eyes to heavenly things. Turn our hearts to to being lights of the world so that we'll show others Your glory. Father, we commit all this to You. Again, understanding that our obedience will show how much we love You. And Father, we desperately need Your Spirit to work and make us obedient. In Jesus' name, Amen.